Welcome to the FitPro Podcast, a brand new initiative from FitPro for forward-thinking professionals who want the latest information while on the move. We hope you enjoy this week's pod, and for further information about today's podcast, head over to our social media pages and start the conversation. And to offer feedback and suggestions for future podcasts, get in touch with us at publish at fitpro.com. Welcome to the FitPro Podcast. My name is Jane Waller and I'm delighted to introduce you to fellow Australian and exercise physiologist, Tony Bataji. Today, Tony and myself are talking about blood flow restriction training. Welcome, Tony. I have to admit, whilst I have heard of blood flow restriction training, I really don't know a lot about it. So I'm really looking forward to this podcast today. But before we actually get started, it would be great if you could take a minute or two just to tell our listeners a little bit more about you. Well, thank you for having me, Jane. Great to be here with you. I am a exercise physiologist and an Australian, but I was born in Oxford, England, and moved to Australia when I was a little child with my family. And I've been here ever since, and I essentially now have two caps that I wear, and one is a strength coach and trainer, which I've been doing for around 25 years, and the other is as an educator. I, uh, I have a PhD in sports science, and I train other trainers to be trainers and exercise physiologists to be uh, physiologists, so it's a, a good mix of, of both jobs. Yeah, and it's, it's actually nice to know that we have a British connection there. So I, I didn't know that. So that's, uh, that's really good to know. Um, I guess, Tony, the first logical question is what actually is blood flow restriction training? Sure. Well, as the name says, it's a form of exercise and it can be done uh, with aerobic training, with resistance training and even just with bed rest whereby you restrict the pressure of blood that's flowing in and out of the lower body or the upper body. So simply you put some bands, some pneumatic bands around the uppermost parts of your legs or your arms. And the most commonly way of performing it is by doing resistance training or or walking or cycling. And the amount of blood that is allowed to come into the limb is, is unchanged a little bit, but the amount of blood going back out of the limb is basically stopped. Uh, In the old days, it was thought to be occlusion training, and some people still call it that name, but that's not quite correct because blood flow into the limb is enabled, but blood flow out is restricted. So that's why it's called blood flow restriction training. Okay. And where did it actually originate from? A lot of people have heard the term blood flow restriction training and perhaps have seen pictures on the internet and might think that it's a modern phenomena. But blood flow restriction training can be dated back to the 1960s. And it was a a young Japanese man at the time who was in a Buddhist ceremony and he was essentially kneeling for a prolonged period of time. And when he stood back up again, all the blood had pooled in his lower body and he thought to himself that this feels like I've just completed a very difficult squat training session. So he, with uh, some inner tubes of a bike, tied them around his leg and tried to stop the blood flow and performed weight training. And that's how blood flow restriction training came about. He called it katsu, and it basically means added pressure. And he is the first person credited to formalizing resistance training with uh, occlusion or restriction to the limbs. Hmm, that's extremely innovative. Um, so why would uh, an athlete or a coach actually choose to use blood flow restriction training as a training modality or method- methodology? 
Well, blood flow restriction enables you to get a comparable increase in strength, in muscularity, in hypertrophy, and also in cardiovascular endurance while using much, much lighter loads. And the research shows that you would typically use loads around 20 to 40% of your one repetition maximum. And because of the restriction of blood, you can get a high training effect, but using this much lower load than compared to if you're using, say, 70 to 80 to even 90% of your one RM. Therefore, it makes it a very attractive uh, training piece of the puzzle for those people who don't tolerate high loads yeah. and for those people who need to recover and perhaps perform some other form of exercise in the afternoon, like athletes, they might do their resistance training in the morning and then their on-field training in the afternoon. Yeah. Because the low loads are used, 30% of 1RM is very, very light, it basically reduces your recovery time and the amount of soreness that you get so you can increase the training frequency of the other modalities that you're doing. So that's why you would use it. Research has not shown that it increases strength more than any other mode of training. It just shows that it is comparable to the increases in strength and size that you would get much heavier load load training. Mm, okay. And what is actually happening then when a muscle is contracting under uh, BFR, which I believe it's referred to? That's right. Well, essentially, the blood pools and... Mm although it's been intensively studied for uh, quite a period of time the exact mechanism is not quite known but the prevailing theory is that there is an increase in acidosis and a lot of the high energy phosphates are depleted in the muscle and this increase in acidosis triggers uh, strength adaptation and muscular adaptations and that's one of the, the three mechanisms known to create a training response so training is essentially stress and so that stress is either high loads placed upon the muscle or it's the increase in acidosis that occurs through the flux of the energy in the muscle or there's um, mechanical strain placed on on the bellies of muscles as well so what blood flow restriction training doing is it pulls the blood so the acidosis increases and therefore creates a trigger after the training period for increase in strength muscle size or aerobic adaptation if that was the, the mode of exercise that was used okay so can it be used in all settings so it obviously can be used in strength and cardiovascular and rehabilitation so you know are there are there all settings that it's appropriate for the answer is essentially yes and given that it has better candidates than others for it you would use it when if the shoe fitted so to speak and that yeah. is if you were frail elderly injured recovering from surgery uh, needed to perform high volumes of other sport specific training or if you wanted an overload stimulus and that's something that is often overlooked that mm. if you're performing low load resistance training and can recuperate quickly you actually might be able to train twice a day every day of the week for a period of time to induce a high volume block of training for those people interested in strength and, and muscularity. But most people are using blood flow restriction in the clinical setting because research has shown that you can increase strength and muscle size at 20% of your 1RM. So it's absolutely suitable for coming back from surgery or having treatment.
But some research that's come out this has found that it also has an analgesic effect, a pain-numbing effect. So if you have a tendinopathy or you're recovering from a, a surgery or a cuff surgery, you can use extremely light loads, much lighter than you would use in rehab to get a training response. And you can have a, a pain quelling effect from the blood flow restriction. The mechanisms aren't quite known yet, but it is thought to believe to have quite the profound analgesic effect. Mm. And sort of just on a bit of a tangent there, is there still a lot of research going on in this area? There's a tremendous amount of research going on in uh, essentially three settings. One is the clinical settings to look at recovery from ACL reconstruction, for example, as, as just one, or tendinopathies. The loads are so low, it's a very attractive form of training for people who just can't tolerate high strain on the body. The second group of research that's looking at this essentially is, is for people who are training under sports settings where they're doing incredibly high amounts of sport-specific work and are using strength training as an adjunct to that. Because you don't tend to get too sore, and recuperation between bouts is very, very low. It's also very attractive in, in the sports setting as an adjunct. So the worst thing a coach can hear is that their athlete is sore from their resistance training the day before. Mm -hmm. and blood flow restriction because of the low loads basically uh, goes around that point and you can train day after day. There's a third group of research, however, and that's quite interesting as well. And that's the mechanistic um, uh, science that's having a look at why we're seeing these changes in strength, uh, muscularity and endurance. What's the underlying mechanism? Is it hormonal? Is it neuromuscular? Has it to do purely just with metabolic flux and acidosis put in the muscle? These are things that we don't quite know the answer to and with state-of-the-art molecular research they can look at this now. So they're the three areas of research that's going on. Okay, so it's a bit of a watch this space. Um, so the, to, to actually gain the restriction, um, the client is wearing a cuff. So are there recommendations or what is the actual process of, of applying that, um, and, and, you know, making that work? In research, they typically use a percentage of arterial occlusion pressure and research uses Doppler ultrasound and they pump the cuff up until the arterial pressure is completely occluded. And then pressure is somewhere between 40 to 80% of that occlusion pressure is used in the research. We don't use ultrasound in practice. So we basically look at the guidelines that have been used. And that is, if you basically have a minimum pressure of 50 mil of mercury, up to 200, maybe 250, you start on the low side and see how the client recuperated. Did they get bruising? Were they excessively sore? And if that was all clear, then you could safely increase up to 100, 150, up to 200. In my gym, we typically use occlusion pressures somewhere in the low 200s, and that gives the acidosis, that burning, the blood cooling that we would expect to see. But research does use a form of precise measurement that we can't use in everyday settings okay and i mean am i am i missing something that i should be asking here like are there other recommendations when thinking about um blood flow restriction training as a training modality that would be worth sharing with our listeners today there's two things that i would consider 
consider if a trainer was interested in using it with a client or if you were just interested in using it yourself. And that is buy from a reputable brand that sells occlusion cuffs that are wide enough that they're comfortable. And there's a number of good brands that precisely measure how much pressure that you're putting on the vasculature when you're, when you're actually starting to start the restriction. You can go online and buy any number of bands, but they're not telling you how much pressure you're putting on the limb. And I think that's a little bit dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the modern generation basically have this, a cuff like you would see on a blood pressure cuff. Mm-hmm. And the, they use a Velcro strap and you would apply them to the upper part of your leg or the upper part of your arm. You can decide how much pressure you're starting with. And as I recommended, when you first start, start low, maybe mm-hmm. 50 to 100. And over time, you can increase to 150, 200, 250. Research uses up to 300 mil of mercury, and that's quite high. Yeah. You don't need that amount, but having a cuff that tells you that is much better than just going online and getting an inclusion strap and just guessing it. I think that's got disaster written all yeah. over it. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. Um, uh, Tony, medical concerns. Are there any contraindications of using this modality that people need to be aware of? You really think that there would be. Mm. And whenever I've used them in my gym setting, the other trainers and clients have looked on with stunned disbelief <laughs> yeah. as, to, as to what we're doing and why we're doing it. And there have been a number of surveys that have been published over the last several decades that have shown that blood flow restriction training is remarkably safe with very, very minimal reports of side effects. And compared to what you would see with normal training, we would say that they're basically non-existent. Because the loads are so low, we don't see the potential for muscle strains, muscle tears that we would see with high uh, loading weight training. And the data shows a very, very minimal chance of some vascular issues, of uh, some bruising. In very, very rare cases, you would see rhabdomyolysis, so muscle tearing uh, and and, and leaking of of blood into the circulation. So essentially, we we conclude that blood flow restriction using correct pressure and loading is the best way to perform light-loaded resistance training for those people who are candidates for light load with virtually minimal risk of injury. Wow. Tony, thank you so much for sharing this information with us today. It's, it's actually really been quite fascinating and we really appreciate it. And we look forward to hearing more from you um, on this subject and uh, many others. So thank you very much. Anytime, Jane. Thanks so much. Yeah, and if you are a member of FitPro and want to read more about BFR from Tony and actually see it in action, then head over to the members page on fitpro.com and view it in our November online digital edition. Thank you, and we'll talk to you soon. For more information about FitPro education and for details on FitPro membership and insurance, you can visit us at fitpro.com. We hope you enjoy the today's podcast and see you next time.